Let us hear our gospel reading for today. Today we are in the letter to Ephesians, and we will be starting with chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now, I am reading from the Common English Bible Translation, but as I say every week, I encourage you to follow along or to hear this in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So let us hear from the letter to Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Therefore, As a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept one another with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and creator of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given God's grace to each one of us measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why the scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. What does the phrase, he climbed up, mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions, the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. The title for today's message is Let Each of Us Do Our Part. And before I go any further, I do want to celebrate the fact that this is our first live stream. That this is the first time we are coming to you live since March of 2020. And so thank you for being present with us, both those of you who are here to help our worship service move along and 
Those of you who are watching us live from home, I encourage you to use the chat, to use the comment section on YouTube, to be a part of our community live as we are together. I also want to remind folks that this is Communion Sunday. And so if you wish to experience God's grace, whether you're a member of this church or no church, or if you've never done it before, or as if this is the first time, get something by your side to eat or to drink, because you have a place at our communion table. And I look forward to these opportunities to be live, both in person as well as in the virtual spaces we inhabit, going forward with newer and better camera angles and sound systems. And, and this is our chance to be together in a different way. And so I thank you all for your patience and for your willingness to try something new. If there's nothing else that this pandemic has taught us, it's how to pivot and try new things and to learn from our mistakes. Amen? Amen. So let's each of us do our part. The letter to the Ephesians is another example of what some scholars believe to be written by someone very close to the Apostle Paul or someone who was writing in the school of Paul. I think this is something that I had mentioned in a previous sermon. Now, before we dig into the letter itself, I believe it's important for us all to keep in mind that none of the letters we refer to as the epistles or the pastoral letters, whether penned by Paul himself or someone else in the school of Paul, None of these letters were ever intended to be included as part of our biblical canon. And I think that that's really important. I believe that that's important for us to remember. In other words, when these letters were sent out to the different churches that they address, it was never with the expectation that any of these letters would see the light of day above and beyond the person who it was originally sent to. It was never the expectation that they would be kept as part of the Bible or part of what informs our church practices today. Each letter, from Corinthians to Romans, was written to address specific circumstances related to each individual church's context. And it was usually in response to a particular theological crisis, such as what do we actually believe? or a doctrinal or practical one, which is, well, if that's what we believe, how do we then put this into action so that it works? In a sense, they were letters written from a pastor or teacher who was directly connected to that particular church or community. And it was done so in order to answer previously asked questions or concerns, which we don't have access to those individual letters. All we have are the responses from the teachers and the pastors. It's much like I would respond to an email, one that isn't lost in my inbox, <laughs> or a text message from someone here who had a question about our church or our denomination or our stance on a particular social justice issue. So that's something to keep in mind. Remember, these are brand new churches, this church at Ephesus, the Corinthian church, the Roman church. These are new churches. 
They're brand new Jesus-following communities, and they often come with deeply rooted societal ideas and practices. Ideas and practices that were sometimes in conflict with what it meant to be a follower of Christ in an authentic way for the folks who lived in these cities and areas who were coming into contact with these new ideas. So when we read and interpret these letters, we are seeing the evolution, the unfolding of the church as we know it. We're hearing about these baby churches' growing pains, their deep worries, their successes and their struggles, and certainly their care and concerns for their own people and for the communities in which they live. And so with that in mind, let's dig into the text for today and allow our minds and hearts to be open to the ancient wisdom that can be found. A wisdom that I might add is timeless and universal, even as the letters themselves are specific and predate us by thousands of years. So let's keep that in mind. Now, Ephesus as a city, is located in Turkey, it's right on the Mediterranean. And it was a major trading port for the areas surrounding the Mediterranean, the Near East, and Asia. It was a Greek city with Greek-influenced architecture and religion, as well as a Roman port city under the then current empire. Ephesus, was a great coming together of languages and cultures, goods, religions, ideas, peoples, you name it, this was where it came together. Think of it kind of like for those of us here in New England or here in this particular part of Massachusetts, think of it like Boston with all of its different universities and colleges, its different ethnic neighborhoods, different economic statuses, Areas with great banking houses and marketplaces and business being conducted all over the world. That was this, the backdrop for this particular church. And with all of these influences coming in from all over the world, the Jesus followers there were kind of struggling a bit. Their lifestyle, because being a Jesus follower is a lifestyle, Amen. It is a lifestyle, and it was clashing with the culture around them. The old school was coming up against the new school. And the new school, with their different lived experiences and cultural contexts, was coming into these new Jesus communities and making things kind of weird while still claiming Christianity. Now, Now that I say all of that out loud, let's be honest, maybe they were struggling more than just a little bit. They were struggling a lot. So much so that their leaders sent a letter to their pastor or teacher asking them for help and for guidance. How in the world are we supposed to make this work? We are way too different. These new people coming in, they got no idea of what it means to be a Jesus follower. You know what? Maybe this Jesus experiment was a mistake. Maybe we should just not, just call it off. 
because these people are making a mess of everything. They've wrecked it. What we have here in this letter, in our Bible, is the response to that crisis. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians lays the why we are called to be a church together. I encourage you to read those three chapters. Not that anyone hasn't read them, right? The writer is clearly laying out in chapters one to three the blessings that we have each received from God through Jesus. And this is the why the Ephesian church is called to be in community and communion with each other. They are called to be a people united in Christ because of their identities as beloved children of God. The blessings they have received, and let's be honest, the blessings that we have received as God's beloveds, calls us to a life together as one people. There's that emphasis on one. And that identity is one that we have and that we have all been given freely because of the love God has for us that we have seen embodied in Christ. So we today are entering into the epistle with the how. How do we live into this identity? How do we live into this call to be one people when we are all so vastly different? And the answer is that we do it by living in such a way that honors our belovedness and the belovedness of others. We do, each of us, do our part to build up the community of Jesus' followers and do it in love. Seems so easy, but I think this is one of the most difficult parts of this journey together as a people of faith. Now, as I mentioned before, the writer does this by emphasizing our oneness. It's not in spite of our differences that we are one, but because of them. Our differences are just one of the blessings we have received. Our languages, our cultures, our foods, our ethnicities, our identities, they're all a reflection of God's wonderful creation and a reminder of how all-encompassing God's love is for us. The writer then goes on to say that each of us has been invited by God to use these gifts in their everyday comings and goings of life to ensure that they are living in a way that is equal to the holy calling. Our translation uses worthy, but I think sometimes we get worthy confused with are we deserving? In this case, the word worthy is being used as equal. So how are we living in a way that is equal to our holy calling? How exactly does that work? Well, our writer gives us a fun little instruction manual. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept one another with love. Not romantic love, but that agape love, that love that is all-encompassing. And make an effort 
to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. In other words, all of you who have accepted the invitation to be a community of believers together, each of you do your part, build up one another in love, and do it in all things and at all times. And we do this, well, it's expected that we do this because we, who are many, are one in God and the Spirit. We were made one in our baptisms, and we are made one in our belief in Jesus and his teachings. So how does this then speak to us today? Because we are clearly not in Ephesus. We are not the brand new church. We're not even new to this whole thing, except maybe the live streaming thing. We are clearly new to that. But this congregation, this particular congregation has been in existence since the 1790s. Our Methodist roots, both as the United Methodist Church, as the Methodist Episcopal Church, as really a movement in the Anglican Church, has been in existence at least as long. The church itself, as we know it, Big C Church, has been around for millennia. So how do we make this work? Because we are definitely not the Ephesian Church, but we are in a world of clashing ideals and languages, and priorities, too. We're not so far removed from the church that this letter was originally addressed to. Instead of the clash of ancient languages and cultures and religious practices, as was happening in the Ephesian church, let's name what we, as a society and as a people called United Methodist, are struggling with, those clashes of culture versus church. See, we have folks who do not use the word church in the same way as others. We have folks who are perhaps spiritual, not religious. We have folks who are seekers. We have the nuns, those who don't know any denomination. And then we have the duns, the people who are just done with church because the church has not always been good about how it's treated people. We have this new language of technology and the culture that comes with using Facebook and Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat. And please don't be concerned if you don't know what those things are. That's part of that new language. We're struggling with that and what it means to have those mediums, those forums, those social media platforms building communities in a way that for some of us used to be built through potlucks or church socials. Instead of Greek versus Roman versus Jewish identities, we have Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And then there's the very real, very current struggle of LGBTQIA plus inclusion versus the harmful and toxic theologies that exclude or force people to hide their truths, to hide who God made them to be. So here we are, thousands of years later, and we're still 
trying to work out what it means to be and do church. Thank God for grace. Amen? Amen. The church is called to be united, but not uniform. We are called to celebrate difference and embrace our authentic selves because God's love and grace has made us all one in Christ, one with each other, one with all the world, and yet it is because of our differences that we are able to do that work to completion. We're not always going to get it right. I know I certainly don't always get it right. And in truth, in the thousands of years since the writing of this letter, we haven't ever gotten it right. We're still working on it. Which is why we need to always strive to do better and to be better and to do it together. As a people, we are invited into a deeper relationship with God and with each other by doing this church thing collectively in and around the world, in and through the world. And we can only do that if we are continuously striving to do so, and if we hold each other accountable to that in love. Building up one another and our communities, the spheres that we inhabit, we need to do that in love not by tearing each other down, not by shouting in each other's faces or turning out when someone says something that makes us uncomfortable, but by engaging one another, by welcoming differences and learning to see each other as God sees us. So, beloveds, how are you holding yourself accountable? How are you holding others accountable? And are you doing so with love and with grace? These are not easy questions to ask. They're not even easy questions to answer. In fact, they're pretty uncomfortable most of the time. But like with all things, like with all things, it is important not to avoid the discomfort, but to sit with it, maybe even invite it in to have a seat next to us, to explore it, to question it, and then to take the first step toward living it out. Like with all things, we have to start somewhere. We just have to take that first step. Maybe it's committing to attending church more often, whatever that looks like to you, virtually or in person. Maybe it's attending church and finding the places in your church community where you can use your gifts and graces in a way that's meaningful and authentic to you and your relationship with God. 
Maybe it's looking at those spheres that you inhabit that I mentioned a moment ago. Those spheres, those work, there's your work circle, there's your home circle, your church circle, your public, your private life, etc. Looking at where those spheres intersect and comparing your actions there to what God is calling you to do. To God's call on your life to do your part and build up one another in love. Maybe it's taking that first step toward carving out time to just sit in the presence of God and have a conversation with yourself, with God, and with your spirit. Maybe you haven't found a spiritual practice that works yet. That's a step toward building up the church, and yourself in love. And maybe it's about inviting others to do the same with you in a way that's loving and genuine. For us today, maybe that first step is joining in that holy and sacred meal of communion to meet Christ for the first time, or as if it's the first time. Because when it all comes down to it, for all of our differences, for the different languages we speak, the different experiences we come with, we are still all one in the Spirit. We are all one in Christ. May we strive to live in such a way that is equal to that amazing gift of belovedness that we have been given And when we do that, may we inspire others to do the same. May it be so for each and every one of us. And may we do it together as one church, one people, and in one spirit. May it be so. Amen. Amen.